Good morning, Freedom Center. How you doing? I've got uh, 13 minutes. You guys think I can do this? Me neither. All right, let's start this way. Take a look at this. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 through 40. We've been talking a lot about this. Spent time this summer. Spent a lot of the last series. And I can't get away from it because it seems to be really important. Like when Jesus says this is really important, how many of you guys know what it is? It's really important. Here we go. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, tithe. Is that what he said? Come on, you guys here this morning? He said, show up to church every Sunday. Is that what he said? What's he say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He says, this is the first and this is the weightiest, the most powerful, the most important. It has just a preeminence amongst all the other commandments. And the second is like it, which is love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the prophets hang on these two commandments. Let me ask you a quick question. I want someone to tell me why God never commanded us to eat, never commanded us to breathe, never commanded us to sleep. And anybody know why? Because it was going to come naturally. We didn't need a commandment. Matter of fact, when we see God giving us commandments, the general reason is commandments are uh, they're established where we are to do things that are good for us that don't come naturally. So when, when God says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, we can assume that will not always be our reflex. And we can equally assume that it says, wives, submit yourselves to your husband as to the Lord. That's not going to come naturally some days either. So when God gives us a commandment, it's something that is for our good that's not obvious, instinctive, or reflexive. So when he says, listen, I want your reflex to be an obedience to my word, what he's saying is there are some things that won't come naturally to you. I've never commanded you to breathe because breathing comes naturally. If you stop breathing, you find out right away you've made a terrible mistake and you correct it. But if you stop loving, it can feel like the right thing to do, especially if somebody hurts you, especially if somebody, you know, did something to you that, that seems to almost require reciprocating lack of grace. You hurt me, so I'm going to... And that's called justice. But instead, he goes, no, I want you to do something unnatural when you're hurt, and that is forgive those who hurt you. What is his command now concerning people? And he says this, I want you to love your, come on, help me out, as you are. So he says, I want you to engage in all mankind and treat them as you treat yourself. So if you're hungry and you feed yourself and you see someone who's hungry, you should feed them as well. If you want understanding for your mistakes, you need to also extend understanding to other people when they make theirs. The grace that I give to you is to be extended beyond you to the world around you. The grace you give to yourself is to be extended to all mankind. So Jesus says, uh, you know, your neighbor is, is this person. He tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And then he, they say, you know, he answers the question, who is my neighbor? Well, your neighbor is the next person you meet that has a need that you can do something about. It's weighty. It doesn't come naturally. I want to keep what I have. I want to close myself in. I want to do what I want to do the way I want to do. I'm going to retire at 28 and go play golf. And Jesus says that's not the life that you're to live. We're to love them as we love ourselves. Why? Because it's the best thing for us all to live in a community that is sustained by God's love for us. It's sustained by loving God, and it's sustained by loving each other. It is a command that will require us to have faith at times because it won't feel like the right thing to do. Are you guys okay? So when your in-laws came to visit you at Christmas, when, when the, the guests came that wouldn't leave, even though you put on your pajamas, when, when the white elephant gift is actually regifted back to you the following year, and you know that that summer sausage has been in somebody's cupboard for the last eight years, it used to be this big, now it's this big. 
You know what I mean? Then, then you have to begin to make choices about your behavior towards people. The people we surround ourselves with, and hear me, the people we surround ourselves with will have a profound effect on who you become. And so I want you to, to grasp a couple things. Number one is that people's a big deal. People's a big deal. You've got to be around people. People have to be around you. There's no escaping it. Jesus has called us into community. No matter what has happened to us, let God have grace on our hearts and mercy on our souls and let us get back into the game of loving people. But I'll tell you this, and you'll agree with me, if you look forward, maybe it's hard to see, but if you look backward, how many of us know that the best moments of your life had a lot to do with the people you were with? And conversely, for those of you that were in the 60s, some of the worst things you've ever done had a lot to do with the crowd you were hanging out with then as well. My mother had a saying, and so did yours. Show me your friends, and I will show you your... Right, everybody's mom said the same thing, right? Because it's true. The best moments, the worst moments had a lot to do with this. So know this, and this is important. We're getting to a point. You create your community. You do. It's not the universe. It's not karma. It's, it's not... Um, you know, the, 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 the socioeconomic status you were born into. It's not your zip code. It's not your mama. It's not your granddaddy. You choose your community, and you build the community around you. You do. And, and I have to say this, like, over and over again until somebody amends it. You have to grasp this morning that the people you willingly hang out with have a lot to do with your will. And who you hang out with has a lot to do with what you will accomplish who you will be, where you'll spend eternity. And so it's very important to me as your pastor that as you face 2018, you begin to ask yourself certain questions. Now, I want to prove it to you because Jesus is perfect theology. So I don't really know what the Bible means. Just, if you don't know what the Bible's saying, just look at Jesus and ask yourself, what did Jesus do? Because he didn't just know the word, he was the word. He lived it perfectly. Jesus was perfect theology. Jesus loved all of his neighbors, true or false? He certainly did. You know, it didn't matter who they were or what their background was. If they needed a good punch in the face verbally, he gave it to them. If they needed a, a comforting, you know, forgiving moment, he gave it to them. He loved everyone equally, but, everybody say but, in church, Jesus chose his friends. His neighbors were the next person he met who had a need that he could meet in obedience to the Father, led and empowered by the Spirit, he did it. But he chose his disciples he chose his acquaintances. He chose where he slept. He chose where he went. He chose his community. Jesus built his community. True or false? Absolutely true. Hear me. Because Jesus shows us perfect theology and loving everyone, but building his community, it's important we look at that community. And we find out what did Jesus know about his community, his friends. When I say community, I don't mean Fenton. I mean the people you're going to call when you get a flat tire. The people you're going to call when you need advice. The people that will call you when, when they have a need in their lives. Community. The people that are your village, your group, your tribe. So there are two ways that I know of biblically to create community. Number one is by design. Like, what is the right way to do this? Who, who are the people I want closest to me? What are their qualifications? What are the qualities? What do I need? What do they need from me? How does this work and function properly? By design. The other one's by default. I would guess that most of the people here have designed their community by default. It's just the guy I sat next to in third grade. 
and we're on Facebook. It's just the person that I, you know, I work in the bay right next to his bay. I turn a wrench, he turns a wrench, his radio's on, I'm memorizing his music. It's, it's the people that are your neighbors that you meet. It's people that are, you know, maybe through marriage related to you, but it's, it's a default moment where the people that are in my life, I didn't really put there. They just kind of found their way in. And I would say about 80% of people do not put a lot of care, effort, time, planning, prayer, discernment and to the people that surround them that create a community that create the substance of their life. About 20% of the people I know, and usually business people, athletic people, people that have this high motivation, they want to be around people like that. And so they, they look for people that can sharpen them, that can build them, that can grow them, that can network them. They go to breakfast. We have a breakfast, the largest business networking international meeting in the state of Michigan, uh, one of the largest in the Midwest, meets right here every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Like 60, 70 business people. There's supposed to be 25 people. This thing has grown. They're supposed to multiply. They don't want to multiply because it's a great space. It's a great meeting. They're a great community. And they all show up every week at 7 a.m. and pay money to be here. Why? Because in a community where iron sharpens iron, where people are like-minded, they're growing. If I sell insurance, I'm the only guy in 67 people that, that do a lot of business in this community. And I'm the only guy allowed to be referred to from that BNI. My business grows, and I sharpen, and I get sharpened, and it becomes really, in a lot of ways, what a church is supposed to be. Different motivation. I'm not saying different God. In some cases, I suppose it is. But, but what I'm saying is simply this. They built it by design, and it's functioning brilliantly. They didn't build it by default. Well, I'm a, you know, I'm a dairy farmer, so I'm going to hang out with people that play golf all day. No, you're not. You should hang out with people that have a 1,000 cows to learn how their milking machines work and how they feed them and what to do with that smell on your boots when you come home at night. Amen. So what are we looking for? Number one thing is this. you got to find people that love Jesus. And, I, and I, this is 52 years of life, and this is my understanding surmised of Scripture. Hear me. When you are choosing your community, there are lots of things. I've already mentioned some of them. There's, you know, our kids are the same age, and they play together, so we go on vacations, and that's great. But someday your kids will not play together. They, well, they're on the same soccer team, and we travel. That's great. That's called stinking soccer. You know, the stinking soccer game. I got to go travel. It's been a thousand bucks to go to Chicago so my five year old can play a game because he needs a college scholarship. But the thousand bucks you spend every trip, you could have sent the kid to Harvard. Anyways, another thought. But it, and plus, he's going to go to a certain age, find girls, and stop playing soccer anyway. So just give it up. Just. Right? But, but this is what happens is, is, you know, we become friends because we're all sitting on the sideline in 20-degree weather. I don't know how it's raining and it's 20 degrees, but that's soccer. Am I right? That's the fall soccer league. And you got the umbrellas in the chairs. Either that or it's 100 degrees. And you kind of begin to know who's bringing the snacks and people's names and there's a camaraderie. But when the soccer season's over with, who do you call in the middle of the night when you need a friend? You know what I'm saying? It, it, sometimes it's business. I already talked about that. But business people have a, have a way because, you know, I don't mean this in a bad way, although it's going to sound terrible. I just don't have time to think of how to say it well, okay? But if the God is of money is available, you find other people that have the same God because I value this deity of mammon. I value, you know, the million-dollar deal. I value the growth. You ask a multi, multi, multi-billionaire most of the time, how much is enough? They'll say just one more billion. You ask a multi-millionaire, how much, just one more million? I'm not saying they're all greedy, they're all bad. I'm not saying any of that stuff. I'm simply saying this, that people of like-mindedness find each other, but, but eventually they have to retire. 
and there's no more game. Eventually they, to, eventually they lose something that's valuable to them. There's no more game. Hear me. The thing that keeps us together, the thing that never changes, the thing that will span every life cycle of all relationship, it's Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 44 says an astounding thing. We skip over very quickly, but it says this. They were all together. This is the new church. Day of Pentecost, thousands get saved. They, those who've been saved from all these different cultures and played Mesopotamia, Egypt, Europe, Asia, all came together for the day of Pentecost. They get born again, and they don't go home. They had everything. They're all together, and they had everything in common. Now, what that means literally is there was like a, a, if I had two cloaks and you didn't have any and it was cold, I gave you one of my cloaks. Like, I don't consider any of my goods to be my own. But, but I also think it also hints to something that's happening beyond that, and as people that have Jesus as their everything generally have everything in common with people who have Jesus as their everything. And what I've seen is people of great wealth and people of no wealth becoming great friends because of Jesus, not because of wealth. And I've seen people that, that have great influence and people of no influence become great friends because Jesus is their everything. I've seen people that have great athletic ability and people that have no athletic ability. Chris Swanson's one of my dear friends, undersheriff Chris Swanson. He's a triathlete. His biceps are the size of my thighs. He gets up at 2 a.m. to do marathons for giggles. He's just one of those sick people, right? You know? And, and I, I ran two miles the other day and was pretty proud of it. Haven't been running much lately, so happy new year. It's time to get rid of the third chin, you know? And, and we hang out, and you know, we have nothing in common. He runs a, what, a $30 million county budget. He's in law enforcement. He's kicking indoors. He's arresting people. He's on, you know, the anti-drug team, the anti-gang team. He's a SWAT team member. He's a paramedic. He's a medic. He's a, a meta-meta-metamorphosis medic. You know what I mean? He can, he can, like, do liver transplants in a trunk with a pocket knife. I mean, it, and his life is very different from mine, but Chris Swanson and I are, are dear friends. Why? We have nothing in common except Jesus. And somehow, every time we get together, we're talking about Jesus. And we've, we've built this dear friendship from two people who are completely different. What I'm saying is this. If you want to have a solid community, you've got to find something more solid than your hobby, more solid than the number or age of your children, more solid than your goals for businesses for next year or the year beyond. You need to find something that doesn't shift and doesn't change. Guys, there's a lot of people engaged in business that are friends today that aren't friends tomorrow because money has a way of changing things. But Jesus has a way of keeping everything level, working out the problems that are created in friendships. The number one thing I would look for in friendship, in your community, is find people that look at Jesus as their everything. Please don't mistake that with hyper-spirituality that has no earthly value. Please don't mistake that with people that are so mean because they read a couple Bible verses and everybody else is an idiot but them. Just because on Facebook they appear spiritual, this is the number one thing I want you to look for. Jesus says this, the most important thing is loving God, loving people. And he says this, the laws, all the laws, and all the words of the prophets hang on these two things. In other words, if all you have is criticism because girls' dresses are too short, that's not the guy you want to become friends with. Why? Because there isn't love on which the law hangs. The law falls to the ground and is fruitless because it comes off as just mean-spirited, unloving, and it's unfruitful. So be careful of, well, that guy's really spiritual. That girl's really, man, she's, when she talks, she's so spiritual, I don't understand a word she says. That's not what I'm talking about. What's funny is the people I'm most friends with are, you know, I, I value those friendships. Most of the time, again, we're not a lot alike, but we have this Jesus in common, and when they talk, I understand what they're saying. And when they criticize, they do it so lovingly that I want to change 
because I find myself loved, not beaten when they speak. You guys still here? Pharisees have the law and the prophets, but they don't have the love that those things hang on. Second thing you need in your community is it's nice to be around people that have what you aspire to become. If you want to be a great parent and you happen to have people in your circle that are great parents, that's a great gift from God. I, you know, there's, there's times when I need teaching, but there's more often that I need a mentor. I don't need teaching. I need a teacher. I need someone to show me. If teaching, if information was all that we needed, two things would be true right now that are not true. Number one is no one would smoke because the information on the pack with the skull and crossbones says smoke these and you die. So we don't need teaching sometimes. Information we're not lacking. It's teachers. The Word of God became flesh. Why? Because we didn't just need words. We needed a teacher who lived the words, who was the Word. We need, just like Jesus took on the Word of God, carried it, and became a manifestation of the promises of God, hear me, you need people in your life that can do the same thing. You, if God's promises in their life and their marriage have come to pass, they have a wisdom from God that you can be applied to your marriage. You need to be around people that are like what you want to become a year from now, five years from now, 100 years from now. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, walk with the wise, and guess what happens? You become wise. Guess what happens if you walk with fools? Guess what happens if you walk with slobs? Guess what happens if you walk with people that are abusive to their wives? Guess what happens if you're around people that are careless with money? Listen, you become like the people you hang out with. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. So why would we choose people? If we're looking to build a community, I want people that can build me in that community. I want people that, you'd be shocked at my friends. The friends that I have, I have a friend named Nate Ellerton. Nate pastors the Compelled Church in Temperance, Michigan. And Nate is a wrestling champion. He's a tough guy. Um, we have a contest. J.D. and I, every time I'm around Pastor Nate, I, I say, we always have a contest called Waste Up or Waste Down. And what it is, is where is he bleeding, bruised, or broken today? Because the guy is always, he just pulled this, just tore that. Because he doesn't, he doesn't, he's got one speed, it's on. It's on. Or he's asleep. And so he, he's planted a church that's like hundreds of people now in the middle of a farming community. He's just, he's just a go-getting leader guy, and I love him, and I'm really nothing like him. I've got another friend, Brad Trask, Dr. Brad Trask. He, he's got a PhD in theology, and I only have a degree in, in a Bachelor of Science, if you know what I mean. Use the initials, you'll get the joke. And, and I... I <laughs> I kid you not, I talked to that guy, nothing in common. You know, he, he's, he's the son of the general superintendent of the assemblies of God. You know what I mean? I was raised by an alcoholic atheist. Like, what do we have in common? But, but he's, he's something I want to be. Like, I aspire to have the brains. I walked into his office. He's got shelf after shelf after shelf of journals. I'm like, what are these journals from? He goes, those are my commentaries. As I studied the entire Bible word by word, I wrote commentaries to myself over a 20-year span so that I can reference what I've learned and add to it. I'm just like... I don't read books unless there's like pictures. And you've written tens of thousands of words as a commentation, as, a, as your own commentator of the original language of Scripture, every verse, every word. Can I, you know what I'm talking about? How many of you guys know I could, I could learn something from a guy like that? Angelo Fleece, pastors a great church in Lakeside City, other side of Yuga, northeast, west corner of uh, Lake Sinclair. And, and he's a plumber. He's blue collar. When he talks, he's, he's Italian. The only thought, yeah, Jesus, man, you know. And I don't get what he's talking about. But he cooks great. 
And he's a great leader. And I hang out. We're friends. We are the four Mouseketeers. Like we always, when we get together, we all sit together. We eat together. We have nothing in common but Jesus. And there's things that are so great in each of those personalities that every time we're together, we become more like the Jesus that's in each other. We want to hang out with. You want to hang out with people you aspire to be like. They need to be in your circle. Say amen. I'll move on. That's a good amen. All right. Sometimes we need, again, more than answers. We need mentors. Think about this last one. You need people in your circle as well that, that need what you have. And, and I know um, I have to be very careful, and you have to be very careful. We'll talk about this in, in subsequent teachings, but there are boundaries that are needed. There is balance. Jesus had this as well in his community. John was his one, if you will. Peter, James, and John, the three. The 12 disciples were the 12. We hear of 120 disciples that are sent out. There's obviously a, a hierarchy, or, or if this was a circle and Jesus in the middle, there are some that are here, some that are here, some that are here. Some have their head on his breast. You know what I mean? Some are here at the Last Supper. There's, there's different people, and he, he forged those boundaries. He said, you, you, and you, come with me. The rest of you stay here. He didn't say, whoever wants to come with me. And three were like, I want to come. And, you know, uh, the others said, we don't want to. That's not the case. He said, you, you, and you, come here. The rest of you stay here. This is for you, or John, this is for you and no one else. Peter, James, and John, this is for you and not the other 12. The 12, this is for you and not the 120. So we're going to talk about boundaries and how important they are, but I want you to know something. Within your parameters of your, your community, you need people in it that need you. Don't just put people there that you need. You need people that need you. And I, I think one of the greatest scriptures for me that helps me come back to this again and again is 3 John chapter 1, verse 4. says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Let me tell you this again. John, who's on the Isle of Patmos, boiled in oil, waiting to die of old age, says the thing that makes me the most excited at this stage of my life is not the people who are what I want to become, but the people I've become like Jesus made me. I have no greater joy. The greatest joy of John's life is not his death. The greatest joy of John's life is not his comfort. The greatest joy in John's life at the end of his life is simply this. I heard you're doing well. I heard everything I gave you, you're using. Everything I taught you, you're teaching each other. And nothing makes me happier than to hear that my children are walking in truth. We have three environments. Love God, love people, love to serve. The love people of our GPS, the love people environment, I, I can't tell you how important it is. I've said this since we started this environment or shortly after, and I mean it. If you have to choose between going to a small group or coming to church on Sunday morning, I would rather you skip church Sunday morning and went to a small group. Why is that? Because you can become smart in a large room, and you can be healed in a large room, and you can be excited in a large room. But though you can become smart, you'll never become wise because wisdom requires iron sharpening iron. It requires a proximity, a relationship. You can know all the answers, but if you can't apply any of them, then you have a great set of beliefs but really no tried faith. Tried, like, if I say you need to love each other, well, in this room, it's easy. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. You lost weight. Oh, I love, love the song. Go home. Hey, I loved everybody. But if you're in a group and they took your parking spot, you're in a group and their kid punched your kid in the basement, you're in a group and, and you just feel like, hey, your spouse is going too close to that other person's spouse. And I, how do you, you know what I mean? Like now all this teaching has to be applied where it was always intended to be applied which is in relationships. Does this make sense? You know, we have people, I come every Sunday to church and I love to serve and, I, and we know what happens to them almost, almost universally. If you come to church every Sunday and you serve every 4th of July, eventually we won't see you anymore. I don't, I'm not 
being fed. I just don't feel connected. You'll have a crisis. You'll be gone for three, four, five, six weeks, months, years, and no one gave you a phone call, and you felt like, you know what, I, I tithe there, and I serve there. I went to church every Sunday, and nobody seems to care. It isn't that people don't care. It's that a small group misses one person, and a large group can't. A small group can meet large needs, whereas a large group gets inundated by large needs. And sometimes, sometimes it's, you know, my, my kids just had a, a, a baby. My son and his wife just gave us the greatest Christmas gift ever. You want to see pictures? No, I'm just, we'll save it for later. And to watch you come over with the casserole, with the broasted chicken. I don't even know what a broasted chicken is. It's a braised roasted chicken or something. But it was, it was yummy. Thank you. They gave it to me and I ate it. It was wonderful. No, I'm kidding. To watch this, this small group care for the small need is so, more, so much more powerful to the propagation of what the gospel means than the large group giving the gift certificate. Does that make sense? When people who care about you care about you, it just has a different effect when people you wonder if they care about you care about you. I want to encourage you. Pastor Carl's coming back next week. He's going to be doing the teaching. Um, I got a funeral this week and a wedding, and uh, I want him to teach because he's taking over the, the small group stuff. Um, but I, I want to, when he speaks, when I'm speaking right now, I want you to do something in 2018. I want you to give serious consideration to Jesus' commandment that won't always be convenient to our schedule, won't always be safe to our hearts, won't always feel like what you want to do. He did not command you to breathe, but he did command you to love each other. And I don't think it's like, what's the least I can do? I think it's like, what's, what's the most I can handle? I want you to think of, I want you to conceive in your heart, I want you to cut away time. If you gotta give up Sunday morning, give it up. But give it up so you can be a part of a small group. You need to be in a class, you need to be in a family room, you need to be in groups where, I hate to do this, but you need to be in a place where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. You wanna be where people see that your troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody, yeah, you can quote that scripture, can't you? The book of Sam. <laughs> Stand to your feet, please. I took two extra minutes before I take these last two. I think two things would be great this morning. One is a fresh commitment to the Lord, gratitude for 2017, but a fresh commitment to Him in 2018. Along with that fresh commitment of 2018, please consider, please pray. Please be brave. Please go for it. You need to be a part of a group much smaller than this one. Right now, you're season ticket holders. You come and you sit in the same seat. You high five when a goal unit is scored. You know what I mean? Just like season ticket holders. Some of you are like going to the movies. I, I came here every once in a while. I sit here with nobody around me. And, you know, if they spill their popcorn on me, I might talk to them. They kick my chair. I might look at them, but that's about it. It's not supposed to be a movie. It's not supposed to be season tickets to the Pistons. It's supposed to be a family. And the larger the church gets, the harder it is to maintain that sense. So as the church grew in the day of Pentecost, they met in small groups. As our church has grown, we meet in small groups. You need this. I don't have time for this. It's one of those you can pay me now or you can pay me later moments. People say, I don't have money for a marriage counselor. Okay, but do you have money for a divorce lawyer? Because that's what comes after not paying for a marriage counselor. It's, you know, I don't have time for that. Okay. You do have time for mastery runs. 
and maybe that's a better place for it. But it just doesn't come natural to me. That's why you have a supernatural commandment telling you to do what's right for you, what's good for you, even though you may not want to. I was part of one years ago, but it, you know, it just kind of fizzled. And I, we just, I, you know, all the excuses you want. All I'm doing is quoting the words of Jesus to you, Christians. So you do what you want to do. But I think it's clear what we should do. People need you. You need people. And we all need Jesus. So Father, today I pray, if we don't know you, let us know you now. Not because of the words of man, but because of your heart being in our chest. I pray if there's anybody here today feeling that tug in their spirit, let them respond to it today. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I choose you. I prefer you. I want who you are more than anything, more than anyone. And I, I receive you today. Forgive me of my sins and give me a clean slate, fresh start. I'm not walking into 2018 with all the stains of 2017 still stuck to me. So wash me and I will be as white as snow. Now, Father, I pray that by your spirit you would lead us to the right conclusions, the proper decisions, the avenues, the paths that are so desperately needed. People need people. You create us that way. Iron doesn't sharpen itself sitting on a shelf. Iron only sharpens iron when there's a proximity, a contact, and a friction. Smart is easy. Wise takes people, and it takes time. And I pray and help us to be wise. We give you this year, and we trust you with it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.